0: Welcome to the Hope Collective message podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Because there's something alive in you that is responding to the very presence of God. And so we go to 1 John chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse 12. And read through 14 I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you dear children because you have known the father I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Aren't you glad that through Jesus we've been given the power to overcome the evil one? This is the word of God. This is the word of God. And so God we come humbly and yet boldly before the throne of grace and we say thank you that you love us and you care about us enough to call us to you. Um, And that's humbling. And yet we come with all kinds of worldly, fleshly baggage. And you love us even in that. And so it is our desire to have this posture when we come. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you can. For now, anyway. Hey, um, if I could take just a moment um, and, and draw your attention to these cards. Um, that we take time every Sunday to do this. Can I, can I just say that this isn't part of our religious experience that we do this? There's not some book that we read and say, hey, you should do a card on Sunday mornings and have people think about God in their worship. It's not even a really cool creative thing that we came up with as we sat around and thought, what could we do on Sunday to just um, give busy work to people, right? Right? And I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm saying these are actually spirit-led, God-led actions that we believe God has asked us to do because too often we make church about us. That's why. We come in and we think this is about consuming something for myself and my own good and forget that this is about glorifying God for his good. And so when we do this, um, it's good to take the time. I wrote um, this week, what is it about God? I just wrote, you're holy. You're just holy. And, and that doesn't, I'm not thinking of that because it benefits me that you're holy, though it does. I'm just acknowledging that you're holy. Think God, God's holy, right? Perfect in every way. Everything we need to live this life, God is that. And he chases us. He is holy, And then I wrote, would you, what would you like to say to God during this time of worship? And I tried to get away from saying this. I didn't want to say this because I think it's what you should say when God's holy, right? And so I'm like, I tried to come up with something creative and I feel like God just said, would you just write what came to your mind? Because I might've put it there. And so I wrote, thank you. Today, God, during my worship, I just want to say thank you which brought a different response to me. Matter of fact, I, every once in a while, Clint and I will exchange, him or yours, we'll exchange them. I just think it's fun to see what else God, here's what he wrote. What is it about God that inspires you? He said, he's holy. So what would you like to say to God during this time? He said, thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's happened to us on many occasions, I believe. I think God's wanting to say some things to his people, sometimes corporately. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so as I was sitting there worshiping, I started thinking, you know what, I love that we are a church that understands the holiness of God, which means, hi Bobby, which means, I mean, it's not like you're going to get away with that, right? Because I'm ADHD. It's like, I see you. Thanks for playing today too. Really appreciate our worship team, don't you? Uh, Leading us to the throne. But as I was processing, I thought, I'm so glad that we are a church that is learning how to lament. Lament. And, and when we say lament, there's actually a, a book of the Bible, Lamentations, that talks about how we need to lament that we don't always get it right. Anybody in that camp? We don't always get through life unscathed. We actually are hurt often by people, and so instead of shame and guilt and condemnation, there is a healthy way to respond in trauma and hurt and abuse and pain and rejection and all that. It's to lament. It's to be sad. And it's to to mourn and grieve that it's not how God intended it, but it is what it is because it's actually in that space that God will give you, through the power of the Holy Spirit and community, the ability to name the thing that is really going on so that God can bring truth, so the praise can happen. See, we can't hold just lament either because if we just become a church of lament, that's depressing. The reason that is because that's never God's intent. God's intent was that we hold both lament and praise. Why praise? Because he's overcome the evil one. He's won the battle. He died and rose for us. Yeah, it may feel like defeat, but if you're a follower of Jesus who is a child of God, then there is a day coming. You've already won. And so we get to walk in victory right now. Right now. And so I can lament, but I can praise. Why? Because right now it's sad and God is doing something, but he's doing something. He's bringing me through the valley of the shadow of death, not so I can live and lament all day long, but so that I can see where God is actually there. And when I see where he is, I praise. Because he's a good guy. I got all that from the card. (laughs) That's the card. Maybe you ought to fill out the card. Right? Take the opportunity. I'm I'm not trying to be, put guilt on you. I'm saying, I think God wants to do something here in our praise. He wants to communicate a message to us. Let's let him do that. Deal? Good. We're victorious already. And that's a good thing. We're in 1 John. And if, uh, By the way, next week, don't miss next week, we have a big announcement coming that has to do with how God is using us as a church to give hope. We did this capital campaign where we are committed to bringing in over the next two years over $8 million to see God bring hope. A big piece of that we're going to be talking about next week and announcing this to you of how God is going to begin to do that through this church. I don't want you to miss it. 1 John, as I ponder 1 John, here's what I've been thinking a lot, uh, that this is really about understanding how much God loves us. It's really just in a really unloving world that bases its love for you on performance, that has conditional love, that seems to find a way to give love when it's convenient and take it away when it's not, that there is this God in heaven that loves you. And when you step into a relationship with him, you get to experience that love in its fullness. And if you haven't stepped in a relationship with God, he is holding that love for you waiting for the day when you'll respond to the very call he's putting up on your heart that he loves you and maybe today you just needed to hear that that there's a God who just deeply loves you and sees you and wants to walk with you and I think John is trying to communicate that message all through first John that there is a God who loves you so much can we receive that today um Last week, we talked about what it means to walk in the light, and that if you're someone who walks in the light, which is in relationship with God, with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the light, that we will be people who love. It will just naturally come from us, and if you want to see if that's true about you, just look at the way you treat others, how you love others. Um, Is it based on your flesh? Is it based on the world? Is it based on what the enemy of our soul is doing? How do we love? And love often looks like truth, and truth often looks like love, that those are actually Two sides of the same coin. That we have a tendency in our own strength to err on the side of love, and so that's all we do is love and we don't bring truth. That wasn't God's plan. We have a tendency to flip the coin over and err on the side of truth without love, and that wasn't God's plan. That it's actually by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that we get to be a people of love and truth. And so to be able to function in both sides, we try with everything in our power maybe to balance it. So maybe if we can balance it, we can see both love and truth in our strength. And I gotta I got tell you, that's almost an impossible task. But if we will allow daily the Holy Spirit to come and blow life into us through filling us, that he will do a work where lo- love and truth is at work. But in our strength, it always lands on a side. So we every day need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that spins the coin so that we can be a people of love and truth and truth and love. Because it will stop without that. It's this filling that happens, not so I can be poured out so I'm empty again. No, it's this filling that happens so I start to overflow with the goodness and greatness of God that is in me so people just come under the spout, over the over, under the overflow of what God is doing. And I think that has a lot to do with what John is about ready to tell us. So, 1 John 2:12 through 14, we just read it. Here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I don't do this often. I've actually never done this. I did it first service. It went well. We're gonna try it second service, okay? Um, because we are not a consumeristic church that just sits here and wants to listen and let the pastor do all the work, I'm gonna ask you to do some of the work. So I'm gonna ask you to take out your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Now, here's the deal. If you don't have a Bible with you, this is a great opportunity to be reminded that we can bring Bibles to church if you want just if you want. But we also have Bibles in the back if you would like a Bible. Or here's what's crazy is they have technology now and you can get the Bible app. So if you don't have the Bible app, this is a really, really good time to download the Bible app. It'll go quick. I think our internet's pretty good around here. Download the Bible app and go to 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 through 14. And we're just going to pray that God speaks to our heart. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you whether it's with one person next to you or a couple people next to you to read that passage together. And I want you to answer this question: what jumps off the page to you? When you look at 1 John chapter 2, 12 through 14, you look at that together. And I want to give you some time. I'm gonna play some sweet background music so you can kind of sit in this moment and I'm just gonna ask you to read that. And then I'm gonna ask you what your response was. What jumped off the page for you? And if you're willing to, we won't go around the room, that would take the rest of the day. But we'll have a few people share, and then we'll figure out how to say amen to those things. Can we do that? So take a few minutes, read those together, and then answer the question for you as a, as a couple, as a group of people that are looking at this, what jumps off the page? Ready, set, go. Make sure you interact with each other. It's important. <laughs> I right, give you about one minute here. What jumps off at the page for you and? All right, here's what we're gonna do. Um, I'd like a few of you to share what you came up with. And when somebody shares what they came up with, I'll repeat it if they share it so people on, online can hear what we're, what we're talking about. I'll ask after that, does anybody else, did you conclude that same thing? And you can just raise your hand. That way we kind of get a feel for, for who's processing this similarly. So who would like to go first? What did you get out of that? That's good. See, that being strong resonated because sometimes you don't feel that or sense that. That's really good. Really good. Anybody else feel that? Got that one out of that? You can just raise your hand. Great. All right, how about another one? All the way in the back. Yeah, he's given us everything we need. Absolutely true. Absolutely. Anybody else get that? Yeah. Alright, what else we got? Clint. Yeah, we went through it. It's the the amount of times that he mentions father. and then he specifically mentioned his children and young men. And obviously for us both fathers. So they he's not only speaking about fathers, but he's speaking about all of his children, and that God's word lives in your hearts because you're strong. Yeah, that God's word lives in your heart piece. Anybody get that? That just jumped right off. That's really good. But it's something else. Anybody else? Let's go a few more here. He writes to every generation and he meets them. Where at. He writes to every generation and he meets them where they're at. That's really good. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Ellie. We win the battle against Satan because we have the Word of God in our hearts. Boom! Anybody get that? That was that stood out. I resonated with that. Okay. I see one more. Yep. Cat you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Really good. Anybody get that? Got that from that. Let's do one more. The word of God lives in you. The word of God lives in you. Really, really good. Let me do this. Um, as I, was, as I was preparing for this, um, there's a lot of times when, as a pastor, you're preparing for a message and you get you get kind of done with it, you go, I think this will be good. I think this will be, this will be a great message. Um, I got a golf analogy in here. I feel like people, we got some humor in here. This will be fun. This will be, um, I, I just don't have that feeling with this one at all, starting from the moment I started preparing it to the moment I finished it, to standing up here. I said this to the first service. I'm just really... Um, and and here's why I'm saying that, that, that I'm, I'm, and it's don't feel like, wow, you're going to love this. I don't feel that. Um, and here's what I, I don't need you afterwards. If you felt it was good to come up and tell me, no, it was good. I actually, I actually don't need that. I used to need that. I don't need that. But what I do think, and the reason I'm telling you that is because a lot of times when this happens for me, it means that there is something God is wanting to say. It means there's probably more on this and in this than I know. And the enemy is at work too. And so we pray against that in Jesus' name and we pray that God opens up our hearts to hear and see and experience what he wants us to know. Because here's what's true, is more often than not, all those things that you named are actually true and very good and probably by next week we'll get to them and explain it and process it. But there's something in this text that I think we miss, and, and you may have gotten this and I didn't get to you, but none of us said it, that is actually the thing John needs you to get before you understand what he's trying to say in this passage. I actually think that there's a, a, a part of chapter 2, verse 12, that is incredibly important that we get. And here's the problem. We'll struggle to get it because it will mean we have to give up some security blankets to get it meaning some worldly and fleshly and things that God never intended us to hold on to, things are gonna have to be let go because we've spent too much time trying to achieve a faith that is only received. Too much time trying to modify behavior and missing a king. Too much time trying to try and work harder in the activity of Christianity instead of getting alone with Jesus And doing the deeper work of relationship where the transformation happens in the heart. I think we hold on to some security blankets that that John needs us to let go of. And so he puts something in here that should shake us and rattle us that we miss. I actually think we miss. I've missed. Maybe you've missed. And here's what it is. 1 John chapter 2 verse 12. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, this is the ESV, that was the NIV, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Your sins are forgiven for you, your sins are forgiven for your name, your sins are forgiven for your fame, your sins are forgiven so you can be happy, your sins are forgiven so that you can be forgiven, your sins are, is it any of that? It actually has nothing to do with you or me but we have made it all about us. And this is, the, this is where he needs you to get and land and understand. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Your sins, we're gonna unpack this and it's not a three-point sermon where you're gonna walk away and say, I've got some to-do's because we don't need any more to-do's. What we need is a relationship with Jesus that's actually real to the point that it transforms our lives so that the world's lives will be changed instead of looking at us and seeing us as the enemy. Because we have a poor perspective on why God even forgives. For your your sake? No, for His sake. Don't forget though that when God looks at you, and I want you to get this, as His child, and this is important, He doesn't see what's wrong with you, but what's missing. As we dive into this, if you're a child of God, if you've stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then you need to understand that you've stepped in from darkness to light. From death to life. That now when God looks at you, he doesn't see what's wrong with you, though he could. He chooses to see what's missing. Meaning, he looks at your life as his child and he says, oh my gosh, there are so many things I have for you that you've yet to tap into because you're too busy fishing it out from the world. And I need you to let it go until so the Holy Spirit comes in and puts his finger on it, not to condemn you or guilt you or shame you, but to say, hey, you've settled for this, but God has this. And so when I repent, I don't repent back towards the cross because that's what Jesus took care of. I repent toward the resurrection because that's what he's called me to. Are you tracking with me? Meaning, when I fear, I don't ask forgiveness for being fearful. I ask forgiveness because I didn't choose love over fear. I step into resurrection, I step into the instead. God has this for you. God, I'm sorry I'm not living in it, when it's so good. Now that's new for us, and that's one of those security blankets that we're gonna have to let go of, but don't forget, when God looks at you, he does not see what's wrong with you, but what's missing. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, though, begins with bad news. And I do believe that sometimes for us to understand how good God is, we have to understand who we are without him. You and I are lost without God. And that our love wants and desires have more to do with this world than him and that is the sin of idolatry and we actually can't fix ourselves. Only God can. And he often does that in community with one another. And so I have these love wants and desires that are way often because of the way I was raised or because of my choices or because of what's happened to me are deeply rooted in the world and the flesh and the enemy of my soul. And Jesus comes in to begin to redirect our love wants and desires. And until he can or does, it's idolatry. And he's calling us out of it. And that's the joy of being his kids is that he's calling us out of it because to not be his kids is to have to live in it. And try to find happiness from it. Are you tracking with me? I hope so. Our thoughts, our actions, and our words are all infected with selfishness, pride, and idolatry. We need forgiveness. We need the cross of Jesus. We need the stone rolled away. We need it. Because even when we step into relationship with Jesus, we have selfishness and pride and idolatry at work in our life. And Jesus is saying, lay those down and let the loved wants and desires shift from things that cannot bring joy, cannot bring happiness, cannot bring anything but pain and destruction. Bring those under and submit them to the lordship of Christ, the will of God. Okay. While we've all hurt friends and family along the way, and we need their forgiveness as well, the one person that everyone has offended in this room is God. Now, let me explain this really quick because I don't think God gets offended, but I do think we offend God through our actions, meaning we offer things that are offensive by not choosing him. That's offensive. It doesn't mean God gets offended because God's not human like us. At least in the sense of our flesh and humanity. Jesus was. Jesus gets this really well okay? Because, and here's why, because he is thoroughly good and holy, and God will not allow sin and wickedness to go unpunished. He will not simply ignore or forget it. It's just not who he is. Isn't it good to be a child of God? Then there's the reason. In the book, the Jesus Gospel, the author says this, God is light. The biggest threat to our relationship with God is God himself, here is a God who is apart from us in terms of being in nature, above us in terms of authority and control, and against us in terms of sin and judgment. In fact, here lies our biggest problem in Hebrews chapter nine. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, and it is God who is the judge. To be in Christ, though, is to see God as Father and Jesus as Lord, right? So how can you be forgiven no matter how good or charitable you may be? You cannot undo the sins that you've committed in the past. And I know some of you are pretty good people. But how many of you in this room, by a raise of hand, have never, ever made a mistake in representing who God has called us to be? Never. Raise your hand. None of us. So we all have to acknowledge that that is true of our past. And I would go on to probably say this. Every one sin is too many for a perfect holy God to overlook. So you cannot earn forgiveness by doing good works. That's why it's crazy when somebody says, but I'm a good person. Or they're good people. That doesn't matter because you can't save yourself through goodness, through your good works. You can't earn what God is desperately trying to freely give you. But man, we're fighting that by trying harder and working more at the actions to enjoy a life that you can only enjoy when you stop focusing on the actions and start focusing on the heart. Get along with Jesus. I'm yelling a lot today. I know. So what does forgiven for his namesake even mean? Because that's the point, isn't it? That's the one that we read over really fast. The Apostle John is saying that your sins are forgiven you for his, Jesus' namesake. Why? I I need you to understand that there is, for God, there is a God-centeredness for God that is way different than the self-centeredness for you. Okay? God-centeredness is where God is completely who he says he is and cannot or will not ever contradict himself. And we want God to enjoy and love who he is. God is perfectly confident in who he is. He doesn't need counseling and therefore we ought to follow him and feel good about that because there is a God-centeredness that we actually need because he is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do that should impact our self-centeredness. Okay? This is the God-centeredness actually transforms us. That's why it's for his sake. I don't struggle with that. I struggle when people want their own fame. I don't struggle with God wanting his fame because he deserves it. Because he's God, right? But let's not miss in the midst of this what he's trying to say. Because of the perfectly righteous life that Jesus Christ lived, this God-centeredness, if you will, The Apostle John is saying that your sins are forgiven you for his, for Jesus' namesake. The perfectly righteous life that Jesus lived. And because he died on the cross to pay for our sin, you can be forgiven through Christ. He took your sins on himself and he gave you his perfect record. He gave you that. When you step into relationship with him, you get the righteousness of Jesus. Today and not tomorrow? No. Forever. We are a product of our environment, aren't we? When the things that are precious become familiar, we've lost our passion for them. Oh, gosh. As a, as, a, as a son of God, because I have put my faith in Jesus, not by my own work, but Jesus gave me that to give, I get Jesus' righteousness forever. Forever. What are you still working on? It's it's a golf clap because we're holding on to our security blankets. You won't get what he's trying to say to the children and the the fathers and the sons until you get this. And this is gonna be about laying down some security blankets and realizing that this world you're living in is not better than the world he's creating for you. Man, we are addicted to this place and it's hell in comparison to the good things God has for us. And so when, when we hear, oh, yeah, lots of water. (laughs) The fact that we're forgiven for the sake of Christ is a declaration of the sovereignty of God and salvation. That God is in control of your life. If you allow him to be. He's on a throne. What does this mean? Because of Christ, we can pray with new understanding the prayer of the psalmist. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it's great. I'm I'm screwing this up and I'm giving you a bad name for God's sake, for Jesus' sake. Forgive me for your namesake. I need the world to see Jesus, not me, and they're seeing a whole lot of me. For new, the new understanding is that because of Christ instead of only praying for your namesake, pardon my guilt, we now pray for Jesus' namesake, oh God, pardon my guilt. First John 2:12 says, "I am writing to you, little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake, referring to Jesus. Jesus is now atoned for the sin and vindicated the Father's honor so that our sins are forgiven for his namesake. if you if your response to God is based in imperfect believers living poorly, then you've missed God. And I hear it all the time that people don't want God and they don't want Christianity and they don't want the church because of how we've lived it. But if you're in the room, that's not an excuse. It's just not because that's not who God is. I'm I'm sick and tired of hearing about church hurt. It's not even a thing. It's not a thing. I, I don't have Rawson Hurt. That's my neighborhood. You all thought that's weird. I don't either. Right, because we don't name our hurt based on a group. Where does your husband work? CDD, does he have CDW hurt? No. It's people hurt. There is hurt. But it's people hurt. Hurting people Hurt people. That's why we're in this space because together we want to become like Jesus and we can only become like Jesus when we get together. But we cannot blame the very institution that God has set up that the gates of hell will not prevail against. We cannot use that thing that God has said now and and forever this will be the vehicle I use to bring my message to the world. We don't get to use it as an excuse. But we must not be a people who hurt people. And to the degree that we're hurting people, we must get along with Jesus and figure it out. So we can enjoy life. So we can show people what living actually looks like. Are you, are you, are you tracking with this? D- listen. Thank you. Deconstruction deconstruction we live in a culture of deconstruction why because we heard things as we grow up grew up about God and the church and how we should act and live and sometimes it was legalism and sometimes it was about how bad we are and how mad God is and so we're deconstructing that the the world has been deconstructing forever this isn't trendy you should deconstruct if you have lies in your life and you base them all your base your life off of those lies you ought to deconstruct deconstructing to find out what truth is, but you cannot do that by yourself. That's why when you came together to read God's word, I had you do it together. You need, we need each other. I must deconstruct in the presence of godly community so that I know if I'm getting it right or not. See, the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. I don't have to be the only one that looks at the word of God and says, what jumps out? You can do it too. Why? Because that spirit is in you. The one who teaches me in these moments is the one who will teach you. That was, um, I, I just, I just want us, we ought to be deconstructing right now. If there's anything within us as the church that isn't like Christ, we ought to find out why, but we ought to reconstruct because I believe George, it was you who taught me that deconstruction without reconstruction is destruction. We reconstruct. Okay. Wow. Okay. Here's the deal. God is righteous. He's righteous. He does not sweep sin under the rug. And if a sinner goes free, someone dies to vindicate the infinite worth of God's glory that the sinner defamed. And that was Jesus. That wasn't, that didn't, God chose that it wasn't going to be you. He chose his son to pay the price. Why do you keep paying it? Because any level of guilt, shame, and condemnation that the enemy of your soul is using that isn't to bring you closer to God but is pulling you away is the devil. Even Martin Luther marveled at just how good the gospel news is. Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside ourselves? Martin Luther said that. Aren't you glad it does? Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.9 that God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The eternal and perfect cause of our salvation is clearly and only the grace of God which is given us in Jesus Christ. Anyone who is ever forgiven is forgiven for Jesus' name's sake alone. Why? To make you great? To make you feel better? To clear your conscience? No. For his greatness and his alone. So pour on the forgiveness so I can model Jesus, so I can be like Jesus. 1 John 2, 13, John affectionately addresses his readers. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil run. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. How is it that you are able to know God? And maybe this is a great place to start. It is not because you were smart or wise or humble enough to pursue God yourself. That is not why you know him. And some of us are like, ah, I got pretty strong faith. <laughs> only because he gave it to you. We are not that smart, that intelligent to come to God on our own. The only reason we have faith is because he gave it to us. The only reason your eyes were opened was because he opened them. The only reason that I'm concerned about the state of my heart is because he put that in you to be concerned. Somebody said to me recently, and they're like, man, I feel so far from God. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, because there's no way you would feel far from him if he wasn't close. Yeah. You wouldn't care, but because he's close, you care, and you only care because he's close. <sighs> right? It's like, <laughs> whoo! <clears throat> oh, falling in love with Jesus all over again. In fact, Can any Christian believer ever pretend to be the one who sought out God, who initiated faith on your own? No. Even C.S. Lewis, who carefully weighed the intellectual evidence for Christianity before converting from atheism, described his conversion as the result of, you ready for this? The steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. You're sitting in this room and you're saying, I'm not gonna go after God and the church and for whatever reason, you're here. And God is going to relentlessly pursue you. Yeah. So I would just give up now. <laughs> and give your life to Jesus because it's a thrill. It's a ride. If you know God and his son Jesus Christ today, it is because your sins have forgiven you for his namesake. And so because of that, I am now his mouthpiece And if my intentions and my motives are about me, then I will be a horrible mouthpiece and I will defame his name, not make it great. And I am done. I don't want to defame his name. He's done too much good for me. He has blessed me way too much to be the one that is the reason people walk away and blame an organization. I don't wanna be that. We are his mouthpiece. John later in this uh, epistle insists, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the replacement for our sins. We love because he first loved us. We don't get to take credit for that. The love you have for Jesus Christ is a direct result of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf at the request of an amazing father who loves us. Earlier, John recorded Jesus' words in this gospel. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It is always and only through the choosing, ordaining, fruit-producing, sovereign work of God that we come to love and worship and believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. Only through God that that happens. Caleb, that's what brought you to God. Jesus. And so he gets the credit, doesn't he? Do you understand the freedom this gives us? And I'm closing with this. While it may be unsettling at first to hear that your salvation does not rely upon any foreseen faith or great strength or amazing wisdom or works on your part, ultimately is incredibly freeing. Why? Because truth is free. But hear me, here's why. The access we have to God through Jesus is based entirely on his goodness, not yours. Entirely on his goodness. It doesn't mean he's not going to bring goodness out of you. So for this reason, you can always pray to God, come boldly to God when you're clinging to the perfect and sufficient work of Jesus on your behalf. Man, I had a week and it was tough and I didn't get it all right, but I can boldly come to God in that space. I can come before the throne of grace. Why? Because of Jesus, I get to come as I am. And what do I get back? I get love and transformation and change and forgiveness and all those things that I desperately need. And so do you. It doesn't matter how you may have fallen this week or how little you may feel you deserve God's notice, He still sees you. The notice and forgiveness you receive are on Christ's behalf, not yours. So stop trying to own God's madness at you and His goodness towards you. It isn't about you, it never was. It was about Jesus and his fame and his glory in this world. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Not you. Man, that takes pressure off too. I'm getting more and more excited about being a follower of Jesus this morning. I don't know about you. Whew. So it is with every aspect of the Christian life. You read your Bible then not to earn God's love for you, but because you are drawn to the love of the to love the God who gave his son for you. Drawn to love the God who gave his son for you. You obey God's word, not out of some slavish need to outweigh your faults with good deeds, but because his law has been written on your heart. And so you're just enjoying the golf game. And when you're not, you're getting alone with Jesus, not trying to fix something you can't fix, but getting alone with Jesus in community. As John writes in his first epistle to the saints, he describes them as those who know God are strong, have the word of God dwelling in them, and have overcome the wicked one. Is that us? I think as we read that and we shared that, someone was going, man, I wish I was strong. Man, I wish I knew him like they knew him. Man, I wish this was true about me. Man, I wish I was, and and stop it. Knock it off. You're you're ascribing something to them that they don't own either. This This is freeing. But this description of God's people that I just read, that we just read, that we just processed is not because they're so faithful and powerful in themselves. It is because their sins have been forgiven for the sake of Jesus' name. That's what's going on. Every admonition to obedience then is ultimately an admonition not to greater independence and strength. Look at me. Look what I can do. I don't need God so much. Mm -mm. Greater dependence upon God and his grace through Christ. True obedience flows out of a trust in, resting in the perfect work of Christ on the cross. That's where obedience comes from. Not because I'm trying to achieve something I never could have achieved in the first place because I simply receive it. God's commands are not an admonition to work harder, but to trust more. Not to live better, but to rest in Christ more. Not to more holiness, but to believe in Christ's holiness for you more. So more than you ever have before. You gotta get this. The more you lose yourself in Jesus, the more you lose of yourself and gain Christ, his character, his love, his forgiveness, his purity. What are you holding on to? That you're holding on to at the expense of the character of Christ in your life. At the expense of the love of Christ in your life. Empty your backpack and fill it with Jesus. The more you lose yourself in Christ, the more you lose yourself and gain of Christ. So John says, I write to you children. John explains in 1, 2, 12, not primarily because you have been strong or overcome wickedness, but because your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. And that forgiveness, that grace has led to overcoming strength in your life. My sins were innumerable and I was without hope facing an eternity of God's wrath. There was nothing in my hand I could bring to impress impress the creator. My only hope was the blood of the cross. And when I humbled myself before my Lord, the gift of his forgiveness became mine, but it was never about me. It was all for his name's sake anyway. And so I pray and we pray, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Psalm 79, 9. Would you stand with me? As we close, so I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. Today, tomorrow, maybe today, tomorrow. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Maybe do that. Just don't open First Peter chapter one and read peeper, peeper, <laughs> you can read that, you can do that. Peter, talk about hope. Because for Peter, for you to understand holiness, you have to understand hope. But for you to understand hope and me to understand hope, we have to let go of the blankets The securities that we've held on to because we don't have hope, but we want to control. Whatever that may look like to do that. Now my phone's ringing. Whatever we have to do. See, because when something causes anxiety in me, in me, I want to control and hold on to that. But when I have hope, that anxiety no longer comes because I know God has it. So, as God's kids, He has you. And that hope gives me a desire for His holiness because He's promised to transform me from the inside out. Not if I focus on my behavior, but if I focus on my relationship with Jesus. May we stop trying harder, may we stop working more. And may we be a church that learns to abide in the presence of God in community with his Holy Spirit and his word so that he changes us in a way that we actually enjoy Jesus every moment of every day, not just on Sunday. May that be true about us. Because when you get to heaven, there isn't some switch that's going to be flipped and you automatically start enjoying Jesus. We either enjoy him now or we don't enjoy him. And he enjoys you. So let's learn to enjoy him. God, I pray that as we go today, we would be filled with your Holy Spirit. That we'd begin to see our golf game improve. Not because we're working and trying, but because we're training in the presence of God and being transformed. That the Holy Spirit would fill us every moment and cause that truth and love to be part of our journey And that, God, we would realize that there's nothing we can do to earn what we've been given in Christ. And may we just enjoy it. And may the effort be in the abiding, not the trying. Amen. Have a great week. Love you all. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.